Welcome to the Smart City Podcast, the technology program that looks at how buildings, communities, and cities are becoming smarter, more efficient, and more connected. We look at everything from the big ideas to drilling down to individual projects and innovative ideas that impact your day-to-day life. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. Welcome to episode 27, recorded on September 29th, 2021. Our guest today is Katherine Harrison, a performance coach that helps get the most out of companies by drilling down into what makes people tick. Call it a form of industrial psychology. She also has a book called Three Colors, Twelve Notes, which is fascinating. First, though, we need to get to Locomobi World CEO Grant Furlane. He's here with his tech news. All right, news time, but I'm going to start first because Amazon had a uh, hardware event recently. And one of the things that they had was a robot, Astro, the little thing that looks like it had a, it looks like an iPad and a Roomba had sex. Yeah, it's good indoor. It's a good little indoor thing. Going to cost about $1,000. You have to be invited to buy it. Uh, It's a bit creepy because it maps your house and kind of follows you around. It also is a good security device. Uh, So it might be rather interesting. And, and they had their indoor drones on, um, on display as well. I'm jealous. Yeah. Cool gadgets. Cool gadgets. uh, You know, Alan, I know we talk about them a lot. We had uh, Sandy. I'm sure if we had Sandy on, she'd be going screaming about it right now. Great. I'm all for it, as you know. And and by the way, isn't it funny how people always think about, you must be a software company, Internet of Things. What is everybody doing now? They're making hardware. Yeah. It's hardware time, baby. Yeah. And I think you're going to see it everywhere. That's the interact. That's the way to interact with the human being. So the money is in software because it is a, it is a subscription sort of thing. It is always, you always have to upgrade, but to show how that software works, you need hardware. It's and called the Trojan horse. Yes. Okay. So I love it. And I'm glad you brought it up. It's a cool thing. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to keep being a salesperson for Amazon, but come on. It's they keep cool. changing the world, guys, they, and, and listen, we have to give it to it's them. It's very cool, and I, I wouldn't mind an astral around the house. You should get one. It's a thousand dollars, and come it, would, on. it would really I, annoy the dogs. I think I might. I think All you right. know what? I don't know. You first I might then. get one. I already feel like a robot at home. Do this, do that. So there you go. Don't let Joyce find out. But okay, okay. I've got some quick news that are that I think is pretty cool. Um, so um, the first thing I'm going to talk about is. And I think it's important, and and it's it's good in the the show we're doing today. It's um, part of the future of sustainability. We always talk about tech, mm-hmm. and I read a great article um, on Treehugger called um, "Sustain and Sustainability for All," but it's called "Sustaining a City's Culture and Character." And and we spent so much time, Alan. Um, Talking about sustainability, like, oh, we've got to put in new roads and we need infrastructure and we need watch about climate change. And while we're doing all that, cities are undergoing dramatic changes. And sh- and we got it from people who are fighting over, I said, climate change, right over fighting for a parking spot. But really, what are you preserving of the city? Like, what is going to be left? Do we have anything left of the city? So should we be talking about sustaining and preserving much more than we are 
in a city. Are we talking about structures? Are we talking yes. about open spaces? What are we talking about? Structure, buildings, culture. Okay. Are we going to be wholly different than we want to recognize Toronto well, in 10 years? Well, I know that Toronto right now has identified 21 possible cultural hubs around the city away from the, um, the downtown core, which is a really interesting way to look at things because culture tends to be uh, where the most people are, which happens to be in Toronto, be the downtown core. Yeah. So, but, but what I think what, and I think you hit it. And, and I'm saying, all I'm saying is be very careful. Because we're going so fast, do we have any tradition left? Do we have anything that we'd look back and say, oh, well, well tell me about, what's Toronto about? I don't know, we changed all the names, we did all this. Yeah. We don't know. There's things, we have to think, start thinking about things you just got to leave alone. In fact, preserve. Well, that's what makes Paris so great. That's what makes London so great, is because they have preserved so much of the past, updated it in some cases, and left it alone in others. Yep. And I think that um, it's part of the sustainability um, vision that I don't see it in any definition that we've been working on. And I, I'm a firm believer of it. And I think that maybe because we're older, but I think the youth come forward have to realize they too want to have a culture to look back of. This could be cyclical because in the 60s, it was everything old is bad. Yeah, good point. Rebuild. So fifty years later, we're we're now thinking. Well, okay, yeah, yeah. We're we're kind of in a situation where everything old is bad because we want to build new buildings, we want to have new infrastructure, we want to have this, this, and this, without a lot of regard to what got us to this point. And who are we? And and what what do we want to be known for? Um, Anyhow, that was just something I thought was interesting, and it is part of sustainability, which is smart city. Um, Now I'm moving to way over the other one, and Alan, you're going to love this one. So we get into one of our favorite things again. You already talked about it once, but we're going to go about drones. You know that, I think you know that Australia has been kind of the leader in the drones. Mm -hmm. They've had delivery drones for a while, just, you know, delivering things like uh, drinks, coffee, and all kinds of stuff. Pizza. Pizza. Good point. But guess what the new thing is now? It is the attack ravens. Yes. They have stopped using the Alphabet's drone delivery series, it's on kind of hold. Why? Because although during COVID it's been crazy busy, they are being attacked. And believe it or not, these great winged friends. You're talking about actual ravens attacking drones? Oh, yeah. And, And they're figuring out how to disable them in groups. And so... They're, and what are they after? Huh. There's coffee, there's food. There's, <laughs> no, you laugh. No, I know it's, it's funny. Just it is funny. No, no, it's just something I never thought about. Of, of course, drones are going to have their own natural predators, especially if they're carrying food. Now, it's funny. We talked about, oh, when they have drones, there will people who have other drones that are going to shoot them down. Remember? Remember that? <laughs> no. Gonna, kids are going to do stuff, but these are... Birds. Birds. (laughs) And these birds are, hey, they're quick to go after the deliveries of hot coffee and meals. Okay. And so I don't know if you know, but the delivery system in in, um, Australia is called Wing Uh and it's owned by Alphabet. Here we go. Alphabet. Yeah. Alphabet, Amazon, whatever. Um, And so the Wing is the, you know, Google's parent and is Alphabet and it, only operates in three countries. I think this is the most popular one. 
but they're getting a problem now. The Ravens are feeling a bit territorial. And, um, of course, they're taking in safety the birds as well. Because now these birds are going there and they're flying into them thinking they can attack them. Mm. They're dying too and falling to the ground. But the fact is, in, in actual fact, these big drones, and they're big, these delivery drones, they're going to attack. And it's not, oh, but I don't mean it's just ravens. Ravens seem to be the culprit, main culprit. But okay. I would imagine any bird of prey would want to have a, a piece of one of these things. Yeah, and I'm not going to do it today because um, I can't, but I can show you how to log on and watch a battle of a drone and a raven. Okay, well, we have to see that sometime. Okay, pretty cool, eh? Um, I have one more thing before we finish. Okay. It is a new co-venture between Australia and Singapore. They've got, um, have you heard about this? They've got the the solar panels in the outback. Yep. And they're going to ship electricity to Singapore through a 3,100-mile undersea cable. It's unbelievable. It's amazing. Um, and we've done, well, obviously, undersea cables have been, are not new. No, I mean, okay? they're 150 years old. Yeah, but the concept of what they're doing is amazing. And um, again, we don't get to see a lot of those stories here, Alan. But the things they're doing... And I'm going to bring it up again. Australia yeah. is doing a lot of very inventive things in the I, world I of technology. I think it, it's because they're a, they're a big island, essentially, uh, away from everything else. And you got to do it. And you, you just got to be self-sufficient. No, you got, well, actually, probably one, you got to be ahead. You do have to be ahead. You got to have that foot ahead. You know, yeah. I know I went crazy when they bought all those nuclear subs just now um, from the U.S. and all that. So I get it. But they're all they're doing is realizing, well, I think you just said, they're an island. Big Island. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Catherine Harrison is a musician-turned-performance coach who was enlisted by companies to help employees get the most out of their jobs while maintaining balance, perspective, and well-being. She has a book called Three Colors, Twelve Notes, The Alchemy of Curiosity, Creativity, and Human-Centered Leadership. And that came up in the conversation when Catherine visited Locomobi World Headquarters. So Catherine, let's... Uh... Let's start at the very beginning. Describe exactly who you are and what you do. That's a great question. Always tough to answer because uh, honestly, Alan, I am a mixed bag of human stuff. I have lots of different interests. I am an artist and a musician and a creator and a writer. And I'm also um, a corporate animal. I spent almost 25 years in the corporate world and for the past Eight-ish years have run a behavior change consultancy uh, where I help organizations, big and small, um, focus on performance and behavior change uh, to ensure that the humans in their employ uh, can be optimal in the way they function, relate, behave, and interact. So, an industrial psychologist... Uh, without any qualifications. So you're kind of like the woman on Billions who is always <laughs> helping acts get his act together. Except without the qualifications. Except without yeah. all the Okay. Well, we don't know if she's qualified. They well, no, I mean, there's no, I think she's talking about that there's no piece of paper to go along with. Yeah, she doesn't, we know that. Yeah. So ex ex explain how you would be called into a company and what you would do to help them out. So here are three common scenarios why clients would call us. One is that they call us to address a skill or process problem, like they need sales development, leadership development, or cross-functional team development. And usually what they see and why they call us is rooted in a symptom, something that they identify as like, we're just not getting the results that they want. And we take a step back and help them to see root causes 
and introduce solutions to those as opposed to just addressing the symptom. The second thing is that they call us to make the most out of what they've already invested in because companies invest enormous resources into projects with sustainment as an afterthought. And we want to ensure that sustainment is uh, the thought, actually, and that we can integrate and measure and observe any sort of skill or competency that they're looking to address um, right out of the gates. And third, companies forget that they're made up of humans. And implementing solutions that don't put humans at the center just don't work in the long term. So we embed whole human practices in the workplace through one-on-one leadership coaching, facilitating keynote conversations, and acting as advisors and consultants in realizing those outcomes. So you you specialize in helping people recognize personality styles, how to address different personality styles, and how to change your style to fit the needs for maybe a particular employee or group of employees? Ish, Ish. I will say. Well, uh, let me let me ask. So would it be more, uh, and Alan, I think Alan, I get what it, where Alan's going with this, but it's more... Um, trying to get the best out of people and, you know, in a company as, as I see, and by the way, we have one of those um, people like on billions here comes in and does exactly that works with all the staff. Is it not to make sure, show them how to settle in and survive into what they're doing and how they can excel uh, with the proper vision and the proper um, mindset and, and and the reason I bring that up, Alan, I think that there are many who have uh, almost booklets that you follow. I get the feeling when I read, and I've not finished it, I get the feeling in your book, there's not a booklet. There's more um, coming in. And I'm not going to say it's from the hip, but really looking at things and then seeing how individuals can best mesh together and see what they're, I mean, isn't the idea always to, wipe away all their concerns or how to deal with them? And isn't it always the way to, how do I keep them on a positive track? And obviously we're going to talk about later about COVID. So from my standpoint, would it be, and now of course, my question to you is, is a bigger one because um, I had uh, Alan. So in my normal consulting ways, when I hang out in front of my house, cause that's everyone meets, I ran into a, a coach who says they're working on a company. This company is a big company. And oh boy, oh boy, what's going on in that culture? And it's not a matter of, you You don't get to choose depending on what level of culture you're dealing with and who you're dealing with. So you got that 12-man company piece of cake. What do you do a company, because you come from the corporate world. Um, and so... As you know, in a corporate world, whether and it has its own pecking order, and I'm not talking about just who's in charge, race, color, woman, man. There's a lot of things you have to deal with in a in a, in a big culture, so we could call that the city culture, and then you have the little one, which I mean, you can come in and really make a team course of. A lot easier than the bigger stuff. So how do you handle that? Okay, there's a lot of questions in that question. Um, <clears throat> let me see where I want to um, well, crack that, it open first. You, you come in. Yeah. 
You come in. Yeah, what do you do? Someone calls you to come in. Yeah, why? Why? So here, here's, a, here's a good example. And, and I'd love to talk to you about the assumption that small organizations easy. Not always, but it's interesting. And to your point, uh, Grant, the complexity of humans, like infinitely fascinating forever, right? Whether you're, it's the music industry, whether it's the tech space. I don't think it matters where it is. It doesn't matter, right? I I remember when I got into management, uh, I thought everybody was the same. And then everybody started coming to me with their problems. And I realized that any organization has a vast, um, has a vast uh, variety of people who live in different ways. So how do you sort that out? Let's, let's start it. So you, a, a, a company will call, a company calls you and why? Yeah. So it depends on the day, depends on um, why they're calling me, how they know me because of the previously mentioned many hats that I wear. Um, so I'm working with a, a current company right now. I would say a mid-size corporation, let's say. They initially called me to come in and help them increase their effectiveness of their sales team and their leadership team. Which I would imagine would be one of the things you're called in to oversee the most. Sure. Yeah, exactly. And But through that, I guess the, the difference in terms of how I and my partners come in to work with an organization compared to other consultancies is we are less interested in delivering content to them by which they then follow the bouncing ball to just do the thing or they go, man, that was an amazing session. Yay. But they turn around and they do nothing different. So, so we will come in and say, how does this thing, this group of behaviors or skills or deadlines or areas of focus that you have, how does the human state fit in there? How do you interact with the various people um, as you are doing that thing in your job? So although we do build frameworks around competencies and we ask them to really articulate, okay, Alan, so you're doing this podcast, but could you actually write a list of observable behaviors that helps us understand what is it exactly that you do to ensure that this podcast comes out or any of your other outcomes as a, as a talent, as a, as a person in an organization? And then, and then we invite them, and, and this is where I want to circle back on the whole book thing, Grant. Yes, we teach them things. There are some there are some amazing bits and pieces of content research from all those smart industrial psychologists and all these other people who make models and say, well, if you fill out this, you're that kind of thinker or that kind of person. But we're interested in contextualizing it to each of the individual people and to the work that they're doing and to the teams that they play on and to the clients that they serve. So we're less about content because anyone with a computer these days can, I mean, you could get a Harvard degree pretty much on, on Google, right? It's less about the content and it's more about the context and does, what you're going to do that with that. Does that mean Alan could get a high school diploma? <laughs> I think, well, let's not get crazy. Um, but so, so we often get called in for some of those, you know, gated areas around sales effectiveness, leadership effectiveness, cross-functional team effectiveness, where, where we are talking about humans relating to each other, right? In a functional yeah, way. These are titles. These are expressions to me. Yeah. Sorry. But then, so here's this example 
Then yesterday, I was with this same group. So I've been working with them for, let's say, four and a half, five months around sales and leadership effectiveness. But yesterday, I went in to facilitate a conversation with their whole company about how learning to adapt is the only way that they will be able to actually functionally utilize any of these new skills we're talking about. What do you adapt to what? Anything. Okay. Yeah. Right? I get it. No, no, I, I'm Adapt to, so we're talking technology. We're back to pure humanization here. Absolutely. Adapt to the rapid, uh, complex, volatile, uncertain, ambiguous, ever-changing onslaught and, of on. everything. So if uh, this whole group or team or whatever you're doing, and they all learn to adapt, they do learn, all of them learn, what have, what have you created? Well, it's less about what of what well, I have created, and I don't think that they learned to adapt in 90 minutes, but what no, I'm no, hoping... No, no, but let's say they do it in four months. Yeah. I'm hoping that they begin to recognize how humans often perceive and experience and go through change in a more mindful way, in a more uh, balanced way, in a more optimally functional way, um, so that... As the roller coaster of life continues, 2021 and beyond, like it's not gonna, not gonna get easier. Change isn't gonna slow down. Nope. That they actually will have more capacity to handle, manage, process change personally, professionally, technologically, from a community perspective, et cetera. So that in the moment of chaos, they they can recognize, ooh, I'm getting yanked around right? By the dopamine hits of social media, or I'm getting yanked around by noise, my, noise, noise, noise. <laughs> um, e- even that awareness is such an important fundamental starting block that very few companies think about. They go, oh, we don't want to do all that airy fairy stuff, that like soft skills. We don't want to do that. We want to, we want to be results oriented. So I guess my, my assertion is that you can be both human centered in your practices and very business outcome oriented. Well, my experience has been if you don't pay attention to the human aspects of everything, you're not going to get any results because you can't get everybody rowing in the same direction. And uh, you you have a harder time building a productive culture. And when I say productive, I mean, um, you know, a, a compassionate culture, a hardworking culture, uh, a focused culture, all those things. So the human element to me should always come first. And, and, and attached to 100%, and attached to that is the, be, is the observable, tangible, behavioral change that is associated with any sort of investment in people development. Because what often happens is uh, every year they, they have, you know, trainers or leadership or learning and development people come in and do this amazing thing. The raw, raw. Amazing. Yeah, the raw, people go, oh my God, this is amazing. Tony Robbins stuff. Amazing. Yeah, and people have these moments of epiphany and fantastic. They don't last. Nothing changes. So they do the same thing next year. They just kind of different flavor. So think about the investment of, of time, talent, treasure, of, of just spend in general, but of effort with, with zero tangible outcomes. And to your point, not actually serving those people so that they themselves have a sense of self-agency and excitement and empowerment about coming into their place of work and going, I have things to offer. I'm, I'm jonesing to get in there 
and and bring the best Grant, the best Alan, the best Catherine I can to whatever we happen to be focusing on today. So what makes your presentations, what makes your seminars or whatever you want to call them different from the Tony Robbins type rah-rah business? So it's less about the content, more about the context. So yesterday, a good example again, um, I had slides. So I still, you know, I still have PowerPoint slides sometimes. But uh, on the slide was a picture or a word. That's it. And it was a conversation, even though there were many, many people. uh, It was me positing something and inviting them to reflect on what does this mean to you? How does this show up in your life? What insight might you might you reflect on, might you arrive at based on some of this information that I'm sharing? We talked a lot about, you know, the human condition and um, uh, our brain systems. I mean, as humans, you know, we got the same brains we've been dealing with for 150,000 years. We haven't really been wired to be in this frenetic pace all well, the no, time. Well, no, we have Neanderthal brains in a meat jacket uh, that is having to deal with 21st century technology that's accelerating every single day. The brain is being pushed much harder. Today. Much harder than it's it's um, actually designed to right now. Yeah, well, designed it can go. But I mean, it, capabilities are there. But I guess what it sounds like is we're not talking about this is really being, even though it is, it's not really a company she's talking to. She's talking to a group of people. Um, and so if you can get those people all functioning, which is tough to do, um, Alan, we both, from my standpoint, I work with that every, all day, every day. How can I function better? How can I learn better? I don't think that has ever been the case before. In my experience, I'm not saying I have all the answers because I don't, but you learn from mistakes, is we were in a tiered, a tiered level, both uh, personally, man, woman, kid, child, dog, whatever you want to call it, human race, country, Okay. And then in the business side, we were boss, bosses. Okay, I hate to see more guys. Boss, VP, general, home, bosses, wife, bosses, friends, superior clients who are better than you. And all of a sudden, we've got this whole new culture that I welcome, of course. I haven't always been an an entrepreneur and and running my own businesses, but... um, in the past, I don't think we actually treated people like humans. I know it sounds terrible what I'm saying, but um, I think it was. Yeah, there um, lines in the spreadsheet. Tell you, um, you've got your, you've got to have this done by next week because that's the goal. You know who wants that? The, the investors. Mm-hmm. Now, shareholder the invest- return. But it's member, and the shareholders aren't always the financial shareholders, could be your family. It could be your your hockey coach. My point is, we've always been brought up that it's only results orientated now, and there's no in between. Okay, you're either a winner or a loser. That's second. Like second is you just are the second best loser. No, no, I don't believe that. By the way, that would never happen. But I'm just saying that's the feeling I've always gotten that I've learned from talking to people like yourself, that the, we've never humanized people. And when you do, they're amazing. They can be amazing people. But I think um, 
you know, given the fact, I don't want to bring COVID as the excuse. But well, I let's would, hang on. Yeah, yeah. Stop there for a second. Okay. I want to start, kind of circle around to what you're going to get into. So what the goal here is, is to uh, engage employees on both an intellectual and emotional level. So they feel that they have something that they can offer while maintaining a certain level of personal control over how they react to situations thrown their way. Is that a decent sort of summary? Yes. And that they have um, that they have realized also a sense of perspective on how they as a worker or they as an entity in whatever community, organization, et cetera, um, how that is part of them, but not the whole them. Okay, so it's balance. So we start with life work balance, but then there's all kinds of but, other balances but, that have to be struck. Here's, yeah, here, here's yeah our, because we're we are really complex. I mean, you think about all the if I ask you guys to just list all the various roles that you play in your lives, there's tons of them. And perspectives and attitudes and even ways of interacting with people depending on what so hat you've you got. How do you prioritize all those? Exactly. How do you? <laughs> oh, I was, oh, I was asking you. <laughs> I, I don't know, that's for sure. But no, that's the problem. No, no, sorry. That's the challenge. Well, you know what? I think when you were asking, like, so how do we change this? I think that there is no simple solution right now. What what I'm hoping to, what I'm certainly part of, and there's a really cool community. There certainly is um, a, a collective effort. If you're If you're in this space and you're into it, you can find really amazing people doing amazing work in this space. But there's a lot of conversation around, do we have to change even the paradigm or the definition of what does success look like? How do we define success as an individual, an organization, a, a country, et cetera? And, and is it one or the other? So you mentioned, you know, you're either a winner or a loser. I didn't so, mean that. No, by no, no, the way. Okay, no, no. Yeah, I understand yeah. what you're saying. That that, and that is um, from from. I the, grew up in it. We all we did. all did. That's for, that is a basic sort of psychological um, choice. There's something called there's two life perspectives from a psychological perspective. And again, I'm not. Please don't put. This, but, no, no, you don't um, have to. No. But that that there's a mindset that the world is made up of power over power under, which is either or, you're either a winner or a loser. Yep. Or there's a mindset of mutual power, which is Alan can win and I can win. So that there's, instead of only eight pieces of a pie, that we can make the whole pie bigger, right? And so that's where we start thinking about how culture and societies and infrastructure and hierarchies and politics uh, have in fact been created to very much have this power, you know, winner, loser. I, I talk a lot about the the binary nature of conversation in general. And we have to, if if nothing else, we have to stop with it. We have to stop with you're either this or you're that. You're either because even when we talk about mental health, so we we were we had you on in, in March for that. We all reside on a spectrum of wellness when it comes to mental health. We are not either 100% mentally well or 100% mentally unwell, right? Because even depending on the moment or the day. Fluctuates. We, it might fluctuate. And so when we get into binary, we get into the stigma of mental health or mental unwellness. 
Um, when we talk about power, if it's binary, you either have it or you don't. Therefore, you want to be on that team. You definitely don't want to be over here. And businesses, generally speaking, have been run that way for centuries. But now, but here, here's the curve I throw at you. This works, this whole system works great with an individual. Like if I, if you worked with me or worked with Alan or someone, you could, you could change us or change our vision, um, how we see things, our flow, basically understand ourselves and things. The problem is I could be the greatest guy in the world of understanding everything, but if the guy on top is spreading the culture says, I don't care, you're in a wall by yourself. Yeah, you must have a lot of. Do you, do you understand? Yeah, like, no, I was saying. Like you, it's it's must have a lot. Everyone of has to be in this, guys. Everyone has to buy in to be a great organization. Right. So you have a CEO who's got a way of doing things. He's under pressure from investors in the board, and it is his way or the highway. Yet he feels he has to, or she feels she has to do something with the rest of the the staff to, I don't know, pay lip service to this idea of uh, engagements, mental health, and all the rest of it. So they all go to the sessions. They all absorb this. He couldn't care but less. But he couldn't care less or she couldn't care less because he's at the top. This is the way I'm going to do things. And the rest is just blah, blah, blah. You run into that. Well, that's how it starts. Right? All the time. Yeah, that's and how it everywhere. starts. And, and, and to that end, that's why this, there's no easy solution. And that's why this is not going to be, hey, by 2023, everything fixed, all good. Okay, there's so much going on here. We're going to have to divide this interview into two sections. So this will be part one of our interview with Catherine. Coming up next time will be part two. Stand by. If you have any questions or comments, send them to feedback at thesmartcity.blog and check out the website, thesmartcity.blog. The Smart City Podcast, brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless solutions. Executive producer is Grant Furlane. Technical production is by Rob Johnston. Executive Assistant is Andrea Crawford. I'm Alan Cross, and we'll see you next time.